Welcome to The Edge Conversations, a podcast series produced by the Institute for Molecular Bioscience at the University of Queensland. Each episode is a deep dive into the often lifelong journeys and struggles of people with infection, pain and other chronic illnesses, as well as the people who research them. By harnessing expertise in chemistry, structural biology, genomics, cell biology and bioinformatics, IMB has become Australia's leading life sciences research institute. IMB is set apart in its ability to translate basic biology through to health outcomes and bringing new treatments to patients for infection, pain, chronic disease and more. The Edge Conversations, personal and inspiring stories fueling IMB's pursuit of cutting-edge research. As a trailblazing computer engineer, Pauline North is an author and thought leader. After her mother suffered a stroke, Pauline's thirst for knowledge led her to IMB and its groundbreaking research. Thank you for joining us today, Pauline. My pleasure, Janine. In 2015, you got a phone call that all of us dread getting. Can you tell us about that? Yes. um, My sister was at the hospital with my mother. Mum had had a stroke and she'd um, lost the use of her voice and the right side of her body. So I raced home. I was in Brisbane. She was in Ipswich. I raced home and got changed and went up there. That would have been a couple of hours after she had the stroke in a an aged care home with her physio sitting beside us. So there was pretty pretty instant response there. They could call an ambulance. They could get her to the hospital. But she was lying there without any treatment, and I couldn't understand this. So let's let's talk about that treatment because this is where. Um, obviously strokes are a massive problem, but this is one of the biggest problems with um, having a stroke, isn't it? It's the the treatment and the diagnosis that guides the treatment. Yes. Well, there are two sorts of strokes, one that's from a bleed and one that's from a clot or obstruction. If If it's a clot, you can give some medicine to remove that clot. But if it's a bleed, that same medicine would make it worse. So they have to first find out what sort of stroke you've had, what the cause of it's been, and that wastes precious time. And how long did it take for that diagnosis? Well, about probably about three hours from the time that she had, had the stroke. But it's a horrifying time to wait. And by that time, she'd lost the use of her right side, her voice, and we just didn't know what the prognosis was. She was 92, but she still, her mind still worked. And the thing that a lot of people might not know about stroke is the damage that is done in those first few hours is very significant, isn't it? It is. It leads to months and years of rehab. If you recover, if you get through the stroke, it leads to months or years of rehab. And it's totally devastating because strokes can happen to babies, little kids, young adults, old adults. It's not an elderly disease by by all accounts. No, it doesn't discriminate, does it? It doesn't discriminate and it's uh, the saddest thing to see in a very able person um, sitting there or lying there totally useless. Unfortunately, the outcome for your mum wasn't what you were hoping for. Can you describe what life was like for your mum after the stroke? She kept going forwards and backwards. You know, one minute we'd think, oh, yes, she'll be able to go back to the home and the next minute we didn't. 
um, she started to get a little bit of vocabulary, you know, and we'd all get excited. Oh, mum, you strung four words together there, you know, and we'd clap and encourage her and everything like that. But it was just slow and just so painful and then she just didn't make it. But can you imagine, you know, you've got a 40-year-old husband or something um, lying there in the bed under the same circumstances who's the breadwinner or, you know, you just don't know where you're going to be and it's an endless proposition. Because there aren't, I mean, there are often um, no precursors. There are no markers, there are no indications that, you know, a stroke is imminent. Quite often, Quite often there are absolutely no precursors. Sometimes there are and they say you're lucky, you got away with a minimal one and this is what you've got to do to not have another one. But no, they're, they're just a sudden sudden thing. Sometimes they take the person instantly and, or, you know, quite quickly and sometimes they hover around like mum did. So let's change tact here just a little bit, Pauline, because aside from, you know, that horrible experience for you and your family... You've actually led quite an interesting life. (laughs) (laughs) A rumour has it that you were one of the first women in Australia to study computer science. Well, well, I didn't actually study it. I I did a science degree at university. As far as I knew, there were no, there was very little around in, in computer science at university. But then I did a training course with the Commonwealth Government because that's the only way they could get staff to to um, do their computing. So, yes, I was on that very early edge of of computing and I was even early enough to only get 95% of the male wage. Oh. The year, the year after I got 100%, but, yes, I remember those dark old days. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've also published books and you, um, as much as uh, you try to undersell your achievements you are considered uh, to be quite a trailblazer in your field thank you how do we get more female hearts and minds into stem related careers what would be your advice to young females or even you know what let's not draw the line at that what about older females who are wanting to get back into study and back into work who, who might be curious about the sciences? Females were a novelty in the computing industry when I was in it, but I went to a function recently for awards in women in STEM occupations and I was absolutely del- delighted at the diversity of it. I mean, it's, it's, it is so diverse now that it, it's, it's hard, it would be hard found not to find a niche because there are now a lot of women in uh, in STEM technologies and there's so much room for more. Being a naturally curious person, which you are, with a background in science, your interest was piqued when you heard about research being done at the Institute. What was it that sparked your interest? Well, the interest was that they were using spider venom extract compounds that they thought would stop the cell breakdown after you have a stroke. And that's that critical period that we were talking about. That's the critical period where you could get, say, into an ambulance and someone could give you an injection that would stop all the cascade of dying cells in your brain. They were using the funnel web 
spider venom and I didn't envy them because they had to milk them, uh, had to find them first and then milk them. And um, I just thought what a wonderful thing to be doing, to using nature and giving hope to all those millions of people who have stroke every year. It just seemed to be good, too good to be true after the experience that I went through to think that somewhere that she could have, and my mother in the ambulance could have had an injection to stop the cascade of death. And, of course, now you've become quite a good friend of the Institute. IMB works in all sorts of areas. They involve a lot of the community in this so that people become aware of what's going on and that they can get the people who are most interested, like people who've had strokes, supporting and talking about it because they know what they went through and they know they'd like, never like to go through that again. And after having had the opportunity to, you know, uh, visit and be involved at the Institute, is there something you'd like to tell people about the world of research? What, what, what do you think the average person might not know about the nature of research? Research requires a lot of money. doesn't matter how much money you think has gone into research. Lots more money is, is required. Millions and millions and millions is required for research because of the process they have to go through. I think people are a little bit more aware of research since COVID came in and the research that was done to bring out injections, etc., uh, the trials that had to be done. But that was quick because every resource known to man and every financial bit known to man was thrown at it because it was worldwide. And that's the important thing, isn't it? It is. It is an extremely important thing. I think, um, you know, this day and age, you don't expect people to have to take a couple of years to recover from a stroke. You know, it's, it's almost beyond comprehension that, that that should have to happen, that you have to retrain the whole body to do these things. And the, the sooner we get uh, medicines that are helpful in this sort of process, the better off we're going to be because you can imagine the resources goes into one person over a long time to help them to recover. Just is mind-boggling when you apply it across the world. Thank you, Pauline, for your time today. It was lovely of you to share your story with us. My pleasure. And we uh, look forward to uh, following the success of the Fraser Island funnel-web spider peptide. Yes, I can't wait for for the outcomes. It's really going to be a, a great advance. And uh, thank you very much for interviewing me and uh, so we can get the message out that the um, Institute for Molecular Bioscience exists at Queensland University and is always needing funding for wonderful work. You're amazing. Thank you, Pauline. Thanks for listening to The Edge Conversations. For more information on the Institute for Molecular Bioscience at the University of Queensland, visit their website, imb.uq.edu.au.